darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? That's a powerful statement. And this is the verse that we really want to speak about today. No one can serve two masters, for you hate one and you will love another. You will be devoted to one and you will despise another. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. And that's a hard statement. And today we're going to deal with that statement and make sure God really understands where our heart is today. So today's going to be a heart check. So as we pray, open yourself up. Jeff did a great job worshiping. Now God wants to do a job inside of you to hear and to move things in your life. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. We lift you up and ask for your glory to shine. Ask for your love and mercy to reign true. Ask for your heart to be viable today so that we can see it, understand it, be available to us, Lord. Work in us. Holy Spirit, move. Speak, transform, and build our salvation experience for your glory. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we lift you up. The name above all names, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey. Good morning. Where'd you come from? Yeah, just walking by. <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, this is my friend Stan. Would you give Stan a hand? Yeah. Stan's going to help on the sermon because he has a passion about this topic, a couple of Weeks ago when we started this sermon series, he came up to me and we had lunch together and he's like, this verse really speaks strong. And he goes, I'd really like to talk about this verse. And as we were talking about it, I said, you should probably say some of these things to people instead of me because uh, you're preaching to the choir here. So. <laughs> so anyways, Stan is Stan with a plan. Everybody ever heard that saying before? Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, you, you get stuck with your name from your parents and my kids would say the same thing. And so you, Stan is my name. It's a solid name. But you get two nicknames in life. You get Stan the man after, you know, the, the cardinal guy. And, you know, great player. And you go, okay, that's kind of a cool one. The other one you get, it comes out of the old Paul Simon song. And you get to make a new plan, Stan. So you get that. And that's, it's followed me my life. What can I say? I love that about it. Because today you really do have a plan about this message, about this topic. Because money's a big issue for you, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as all of us, we, we have to deal with money. But, you know, in my world, I you know, have dealt with you know, making money and, in fact, have a company I work with. So mm -hmm. it's part of my life is dealing with and working with making money but not letting it consume me. And so, you know, I, it worked out well. Jeff's a little scratchy voice, so, yeah. you know, God timed this well for us. So, you know, I've got some things to say, and, you know, I know I'm the initial image, but really I brought with me an image that excites a lot of us, really. And, you know, we have with us, and this is not Monopoly money, this is, you know, legitimate stuff here. I brought along... What do you say, my Monopoly money's not good? <laughs> now I took it over to the, you know, the local bonds here. They weren't so happy. I, they didn't even give me a bag. Uh, but, you know, brought along a pile of money. And, you know, this, this very quickly gets our attention because, you know, we recognize that's something. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in our, our society, our culture, you know, we, if you think of words a little bit, we a culture where we have one word for love. And we'll talk about love of pizza. We'll talk about the love God had for us when he sent his son. We use the same word. When one is just, you know, hey, that was a good piece of pepperoni. And you, you realize, okay, that's pretty imprecise. But when it comes to money, we're big on money, and we've come up with a lot of words. You know, and I threw a few up there, you know, greenback, cash, buck, buckaroo, bills, um, sawbucks, cold hard cash, a little multilingual with dinero. You know, I this past my daughter, and she said, Dad, those are old words. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I didn't think so. But she 
said dough, paper, bacon, bread. And so, you know, those are a little cooler, I guess. And then finally, our family's favorite is the doll pears. So, you know, you, and you, most of you, I'm sure, have another, you know, list that you can come up with. We have words upon words in our talk about money. And I think it's important to say, here's the thing that Stan is really showing us here. We have tons of words for money, but we have one word for love. So does that mean we focus on money more importantly, or do we focus on love, right? And so that's an interesting uh, dynamic that you have here, and I love that concept. The con connection that me and Stan have, and the reason why we hit it off is Stan is a church planner from many years ago. And he became a businessman. He's got a successful business in town. And I'm a businessman that got caught up, and now I'm a church guy. And so we interchange these great thoughts. And so when he came up here, and when we talked about him coming up here, he's like, I want to talk about this money thing because I deal with it. And we've been dealing with, it our, with our family. And he goes, I want the church to make this part of their life so that they can see what God really has. So we're going to go through this text and talk about what it means to have money be over God or under God. And this woke up some people. There's a couple people that were falling asleep, and now there's some money. Can I touch this? <laughs> later. I'll get that exactly. later. And, and, and what's neat about this, and you know, it's something I'm passionate about is the Bible isn't silent on this subject. You know, we, we would all assume and guess, and you're right, that love is the number one subject in the Bible. But number two is money. Money is woven through the Bible because it is a big issue for us, and God knows this. And God has woven through the scriptures many, many things about money. And we see that in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. There's a bunch of talking about giving to the needy and talking about treasures and where I see money and serving two masters. So there's a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount that does talk about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to get started and we're going to go back. We added this one about the treasures because it gives us a context of what we're trying to say in verse 24, which we're going to get to. So Stan, you want to read that? And, you know, as we, we read this, just as the second image that we're going to have beside the money here is that of the Bible. So in the Bible, to remind us, sort of this dueling conflict between money and God. And so here's from Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the de desires of your heart will be also. And you look at you know, this, it's, it's, it's a familiar passage, and a lot of us have, have you know, run into this before. And as I was looking through it and you know, looking for, you know, what, where does this ha passage twist? It, it hit me, this word treasure is, a, is an interesting piece that really opens up this passage for us. And the reason is this, treasure, most of us think in the noun form. And you think of you know, Johnny Depp, Pirates of the Caribbean, a box of loot, you know, you think of gold chest, that's, that's our mind of treasure, you know, the pirate's treasure, and wealth, and gold, and piles of, of stuff, and that's, that's our mind, but really right beside it is the verb form, and the verb form is, it's interesting, and hopefully we'll show you why, the verb form is this idea of what you hold dear, I treasure it in my heart, and what's interesting about that dual meaning is they come together, and you essentially define your treasure by what you treasure, and so that's you define... Good. Your you know, wealth in life, what you're holding dear in life. I think it's a powerful concept to look at and say, what do you treasure? The verse says, um, don't store up your treasure or your nouns or these things, 
But really, where's your heart at this? Where do you hold dear? And where's the verb? Where's the action of your heart? And I think that's a powerful way for us to look at this verse because it gives us this critical message that Christ is uh, uh, putting before us. And it pushes us to the real question of the thought is, don't hold dear the stuff that falls away, that's temporal. You know, rust, moth, stealing, those things, they destroy that which is temporary. And so it, you know, the obvious conclusion of this verse is don't put that stuff as important in your life. And I, you know, I, I remember back to my days of high school. And you know, a lot of you guys at least will probably relate with this. You know, high school and cars are something. And so in my day, it was a 73 El Camino. Now, admittedly, this one looked better than when I drove. <laughs> but I had high dreams. This is not his El Camino. This is not my El Camino, because I'll tell you where my El Camino is in a moment. And so, you know, I had this, and it wasn't the, you know, the SS 454. It was only the 350. And, you know, all those things. Of course, the rich kids had the shinier, fancier ones. But you, you sit there, and it's, you know, I think we've probably all worked our way through high school in this, where somebody else had the stuff you wanted. And then, of course, the fashion of high school. You know, for some reason, people decided turning a, t- a towel inside out and making a shirt out of it and calling it a ter- you know, the Kennington shirts, and at least in my area, and it was middle of California. I don't know if we were just hicks, but we were wearing towels and thinking you said we, it, not we were something. <laughs> but let's face it, it, you know, you can call it the eyes odds, you can call it whatever it is. You know, we all have it, and it's timeless because you just shift the name and the place. And here's the thing, though. I'm fairly certain that El Camino of mine is long ago in the rust heaps of time. I mean, there is no way that one was worth restoring. And so, you know, somebody probably melted it down. And the shirt probably worked into the rag pile for a while, and ultimately it was discarded. So these treasures of my high school days, I am certain, are just dust and gone. And that's important because when we really think about what we used to treasure and what we treasure today, what we used to treasure maybe before Christ, and what we treasure as we grow into Christ really shows who we are as Christians. What I used to love even 10 years ago as a Christian, even as a pastor, has changed over time because my heart has changed closer to God's will. And I've got to ask this. In high school, how many guys wore the Terry Cloth shirts? Was I alone? Oh, a couple. We okay. got another victim or two. Okay, so. good, good, good. I'm just checking. Well, we're, we're, we live in Southern California here. Yeah, so. you guys are cool in the Hang Ten <laughs> world, yeah. So, but what, what really it drives is, is this question, and that is, you know, what treasures last? And, you know, I thought about that a bit is, you know, these certainly didn't last. And, you know, we want to be storing up things that last. So what treasures last? And I, I think, as I, you know, the, the thing we should look at as a, a lasting treasure is what I would call just the relationships in our life. We have our relationship with God. We have the relationship with spouse, with family. We have the relationship with friends, with people around us. We have relationship with community. As we pour into those relationships, those are the things that last. They transcend time and they go from these temporary things that turn into the junk heap into the eternal. And I like that story because it really helps us understand what we really have that last eternal is our relationships with God and with other people around us. Our, our eternal relationship here can have an eternal effect here. And I think Stan is giving us a good point, something to hold on to. The thing you talked a little bit about was your relationship with your wife, right? That was a cool story. You know, and, and that's a, you know, we're going to get more into that, but, you know, in, in my younger years, the pile wasn't that thick. But <laughs> I peeled a few bills off and I courted my wife. And, you know, we would go out and do things and spending money out of this treasure, I invested in this treasure, and this relationship I've had nearing 28 years, better get that right, she'll, 
Yes, 28 years in a month. Here. She's texting me right now, so. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I got it right. But 28 years, and it's, you know, it's a marvelous treasure, a marvelous relationship. And it was an investment of this into something, you know, that's all long gone. But, you know, what results from that investment is phenomenal and life-changing. I love it. Let's move on. So what we're doing is we're building up to getting to that place where you can't serve two masters. Now, the next kind of verse kind of takes us off 101 and takes us on Highway 1. It's still talking about the same thing, but we need to talk about it. But we're going to kind of spend a little bit of time on this because it could take us into a completely different place. So I'm going to continue to read about the eyes and... Uh, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about this, but I don't want to derail us. It says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if, you're, if the light you think you have is actually dark, how deep is that darkness? That verse really hits me hard. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being in light. Money... Everybody looks and is following, where is this going to go? At the end, we're going to throw it up, so see who can catch it. Money can be such a good tool, but it also can lead us into dark places, and it can take us off the original way that we're going, and as we get older, we either do better with money or we do worse, but it can take us off of where we're going and bring us into those dark places, because if it's where we really focus, if this is more important than this image, you're going to have a problem in life. I know I have, and that's how God raptured me out of my old life and into a different life because I was going on the wrong direction. So anything you want to add to that? Well, and that's certainly it. It affects everything, how we see money. And, you know, there's, there's just so many delusions out there. The evil one is out there to trip us up on this because this is so compelling and we can't lose our focus. And we just are focused on that all the time. And it's such a deluding thing that it darkens our life. And so that, yeah, we, we didn't want to spend much time here because this is, this is lengthy, but we just had to hit this interlude to remind us this, this topic can affect all of us and affect, affect us deeply. And then, you know, as, as it transitions, we realize, okay, the verse that we really want to hit to is in, in the next passage there. It's 624, and I'll, I'll read it for us again. And it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and disguise the other. You cannot serve, despise the other, excuse me. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's the critical text for us today. We want to look at this and ask you some questions as we go through this. We want to ask you where you stand with this text, because this is what we would call harsh critical words of Jesus. As a disciple, where do you and your spouse or the people around you stand, but really make it about yourself? Stan's got a really cool story about this two masters thing, and I kind of want to give him the, the, the floor to tell this story because I love it. We're going back to my high school, and I apologize for that. You're, you're living in Southern, or Central California today. So I grew up Central Valley, and I lived in the world of peaches. Um, and I grew up in a Mennonite community, and Mennonite peaches, farmers, those were just the same thing. And so as a young Mennonite boy, the deal is you went to work on the peach farm. Well, my uncle had a peach farm, and he also was a partner with my mom's uncle, and part of the area is everybody's related, and I will assure you my parents were not. Um, but so I was working for my dad's Gonna uncle. Going to have Jeremy check that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. And you will find out, and I got in trouble a few times because everybody knows everybody is related. So we know you, your dad. It was terrible. But anyway, I was working for my two uncles. One of them was this guy who had this sense of quality and making the premium product. 
The other guy was as cheap as they could be, and so the way it works with peaches is that you have to decide if it's sellable or if it's trash. Well, the one guy said trash, the other guy said no, that's money, and so they were constantly fighting and uh, giving many adjectives of why you're doing it wrong, as one guy was trying to put everything in the box, and the other guy was throwing it all out, and all of us peon workers were sitting there going, oh, this isn't, and they were yelling at each other, yelling at us, and the tension in the space was just amazing as no one really could figure out how to you know, serve these two bosses and, and keep both of them happy. And it was, it's a great picture of this story. I think the story really gives us a picture of tension. In the Gospels, in the writings, in the Bible, there's tension. And here in this text, we're not talking about the tension that we had last week about lust. We're talking about the tension of, is God your master or is money, is this driving your life? We need this to live, but is this the driving aspect? So the tension here is really powerful, and the story of these two bidding uncles helps us decide which one do you want to be. I see this really like the way that God wants me in my life is this. Do you want to live for quantity and throw everything in the peach box? Money's that same way. All you live for with money is quantity. The more you have, the more you want. And the more you get, or do you want to be that premium uncle that just wants to give you the good stuff? The premium stuff that is solid, that's true, and your box is always going to be perfect and right. That's what we see here, and I love that story, Stan. I think it really makes sense. And, you know, you can see the words. These are harsh words. These are, you know, you either love one, hate the other, devoted to one, despise the other. These are intensely, you know, in act words that are in opposition, and you know, it's talking about these two things, you can't serve both of them. And it's, it, you know, we kind of want to. We kind of want to sort of straddle that line. And this passage is, is clear. Those are in direct opposition. You, you're making your choice between which you serve. It's an either-or type of thing. And, you know, part of the version of the question is, you know, you got this pile of money. Is there a height that this pile can go where it's worth it to you? You know, if you made this, you know, this is not a big pile. But let's say you added a few zeros and it became a million, a hundred million, a billion. Is there a number out there that says, okay, that one's big enough, I'm going to pick this one. And it's a, it's a legit question because we, a lot that way is we're, we're trying to make this pile bigger because we're serving that pile. Even though, you know, we clean it up on Sunday, but the, you know, the real story is that's not always the case. I think there is a great tension here about is my pile getting bigger more important than God? And I think you've really hit that pretty strong. So the question is this. We had lunch several weeks ago. I think we went to Snapper Jack's and had some tacos. And we talked about this money thing. And you were pretty pumped up. You can tell he's pretty pumped up about teaching us about money. And I love that. But here's the question. You know, I'm the pastor here, so I always am pretty transparent. Do you struggle with this? Oh, and that's that's exactly true. You know, I I no longer wear the Terry Cloth shirts. (laughs) Thank you. If you know me, I'm a little persnickety still, and you know, I pretend that's because I need natural fibers, but let's face it, I still <laughs> like a brand. And so, it's just... I'll not, explain that to you guys later. So. It's just, yeah, I have that pale Scandinavian yeah. skin. It's kind of soft. <laughs> so, it, so, in a way, this beast just changes, but the beast is always knocking, and it's hard to live in this culture without money in your mind, and it's something that you know I work at because it's, it's around me. And, you know, I live in a business, and we know the business fails when you run out of money. That's all organizations fail when you run out of money. And so you have to balance the making money without serving money. And that's, that's the tension in the trenches, I suppose, of as you're grinding it out, how do you pay the bills without 
serving the bills. I think that's something that I love to talk about about Journey because when we started, Jeremy and Heidi and Madison and Jeff Foss and my wife and Harmony, everybody came to the conclusion that this place wasn't going to be driven by money. It wasn't going to be driven by how many people come through the door and it wasn't going to be driven by money. So these verses really made it strong to us to realize Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is communicating, is money your God? Because if it is, you're going to struggle. If this church's focus was money, we would probably be in a different building and we'd probably be doing things a lot different, but it's not. It's about how much God can impact in your life. So you got a question for us. Well, I do. I, you know, the question is twofold. You know, am I devoted to money? And, you know, for you me, personally? Me personally. I mean, it's a personal and, question. And everybody here. You, know, you can always point to the neighbor next to you, but the, the reality is it's a question each of us have to ask and we probably all have a suspicion there's a tinge of that in all of us at some level. There is a devotion to money that we're battling, and that's the question. Am I devoted to money? So take 10 minutes. Deal with your heart. I'm just kidding. We really need to look at that, and we could give you a test right now. I could put a test on the screen and check off three things, but the truth is you've probably heard a sermon like this. If you haven't heard a sermon about money since the last time you've come, you need to come to church more often because we haven't talked about it in six months. But here's the thing. You don't need us to tell you if you're devoted to money. You already know. God's already spoke that to you right now, and he's really challenging you to move on. So that brings us to the last point, uh, the last part. We like application at this church, right? And uh, at the bottom of our, our green sheet, there's a bus here. So please tell us a little bit about the bus. Okay. You know, what, we, what we're convinced of, and I love this idea, kind of as I said, the Bible has things to say on these on things that matter. And the Bible doesn't tell us to remember to breathe because we know how to breathe. The Bible tells us all the perils of money because it's a battle for us. And I think, you know, the relevance of the Bible is so wonderful because in the issues that matter, it's there. And so in this case, I came up with a a, a bit of an acronym. And I was patting myself on the back because I think all good sermons have acronyms. And so... They used to. Used to. So, you know, if you can't get three points with an acronym, I mean, that's golden. So I went with this, this acronym, and it hooked into the song that we were kind of laughing out at the beginning. And, you know, the song comes from Paul Simon, you know, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And it's kind of at first go, well, that's a little bit off. And then I realized that's even more appropriate because this is our lover a lot of times. Money compels us to do things just like, you know, that. And this song tells us, here's some ways to leave a lover. And one of the phrases is, get on the bus, Gus. And so... We've got the Gus bus, and yeah, I apologize for the corniness, but hopefully you can drive away from here and remember these things, because I really believe these come as ways to combat materialism that just is constantly battling us. So, so the- you're giving us an image so that we can use, so that we walk out of here, and this isn't the bus to throw Jeremy under. This is actually a bus to talk about, so that you leave here with the Gus bus as a solution to break the stronghold of money in your life, right? That's absolutely right. Okay, so go ahead. What's the G? G is for give. And, you know, give is something that is just intertwined with who God is. If we think of, you know, every football game we've seen, sports stars, it's, you know, they put it under their eye black. They put John 3.16. It's just plastered everywhere at all these events. And John 3.16 starts with, for God so loved the world that he gave. And you, you see that deep within God's character is he gives. And so it would make sense that we as followers of Christ, if we want to act like Christ, we give. And it's a great way to combat this desire to make this stack bigger. And you know, I wanted to, there's a couple of versions of the words we're going to use. So the give version, I want to have you associate with a corporate, you know, the 
this institution as opposed to individual and you know giving to churches it's something you do that's you know not compulsive you don't expect anything back it's voluntary and so it's basically you taking from your stack and giving to something so like giving in the baskets when you pass them at a church or giving to the rescue mission or giving to places that you love. We give to a place called Compassion. Those are things that you can corporately give. You're joining other people in giving. And it breaks down the want of money. It's one of those releases. And you said earlier, like, give is, you can't use give or gave without using give or gave in the definition. Because that's really what we have to do to help us break down this thought and want of money. Well, I looked up the definition. It was clunky if you didn't use give. You're like, oh, come on. You're just trying not to use the word. <laughs> so, I, so I'm going to, we all know what give means. And it's one of those things that should just be a habit of ours. And, you know, it, it was a, there's a story from 2 Corinthians where there's a church in Macedonia. And, uh, you know, Paul was writing to Timothy. And, and well, Paul was writing to the Corinthians and was admiring what this church was doing because they were poor. They were, you know, in deep poverty. And yet they were, had a wealth generosity. So this church that had nothing wanted to participate in the support of the things of God, even though they had nothing. And it was, it's a very compelling, neat story because you, you realize, wow, it doesn't matter where we are, how thin or thick or pile, we can still be a participant in that. And you know, this verse in 2 Corinthians that followed that story, it's a familiar verse, but it's a good reminder, and I hope you hear, hear it from us, is you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, or God loves a cheerful giver, the way some remember it. And it's an important thing to remember is, as we're giving, it's not supposed to be arm-twisting, pressured, guilt-driven. It's supposed to be us just out of excitement as we serve God to take from our pile and, and give. And it, it, it intertwines us with God. Uh, and, and the truth is, the reason, one of the reasons why Stan is passionate about this is he's learned to find the joy in giving. Giving's fun to you. Well, you know, it's, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and my parents early on said, you need to be someone who gives from what you make. And it's, it was a habit I started early, took into marriage, and we continue as we have always made giving a part of our lives. And then we, you know, have the ability not only to give the, to the church we're at, we, you know, other organizations, as you mentioned, and it's an exciting thing that kind of, it, the more you do, the more you want to do, and it, it builds up in you, and suddenly you want this pile to grow not because you want to admire it, but because you want to be giving more. And it's kind of a neat tr transition that happens. A couple of weeks ago, Jeremy gave a really great message on Wednesday. I would challenge you to go online as he talked about giving because the Old Testament says giving, if you look at a three-year uh, span in the Old Testament, is not a tithe or a tenth. It's actually 23.5%. And so if you look at the Old Testament, oh, yeah. But the truth is Jesus says at some point, give everything. For those that really struggle... With this money concept, he says to the rich guy, what does he sell? Sell everything and give it away and come follow me. To some of you, he's saying, I need you to give everything. For some, if you're struggling with giving and you want to put God first, just start giving a little bit. 1%, half a percent, 5%. Get on the bus, Gus. And you know, it's, it's funny. My wife and I have been, been coming for a while here. When we first showed up, you know, we're visitors. We're checking out the place. You see a little trash in the corner, and you kind of think to yourself, you know, this place needs to clean it up a bit. And you, you don't think it's your problem. But now you start giving, and that transitions. It transitions from that to saying, there's trash in my house. I need to pick that up because this place needs to look sharp. When, when you see things left on the, on the chairs afterwards, I need to pick this up because That's it's right. now mine. You either decide, me and Jeremy were with another church that helped us plan, and they did this series, is this your home or is it a hotel? Right? A hotel, what do you do? We don't even want to see what it looks like after we leave a hotel. 
but our home, well, our home's pretty close too because I got girls, but uh, uh, <laughs> we treat this better because we have to pick it up, and so I love that. What's the, what's the you and the Gus? Okay, the you is for yous. And it reminds me of a parable Jesus told. Uh, the master, a couple of servants came. He handed out money. He gave one five, one two, one one. The five and the two, they double it. Well done. Good job, guys. The one buried it, put it in the ground, and he got just absolute condemnation, told that, you know, we're weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you, you see this picture of a guy who said, I just want to build a pile here. I don't do anything with it. He comes to the end of his life in great anguish. Well, I blew it. And I think that's the picture to think is God has given us resources. He's made us stewards of this, of this money. He wants us to use it. He wants us to take the stuff he's yeah. given us and use it to impact those relationships. As we had the story with my wife, using this little bit to impact that relationship and others in our lives. You do things to use this little bit to ha- make a real permanent You got impact. a really cool story, I know, about just that little Bible study you guys had in your house. You know, when we were just starting out, we were in the world of apartments over on Paseo Camarillo, and we had this little apartment, you know, and we had a couple of wicker couches because that's what we could afford, and it was one of those funny things where we said, let's have a Bible study anyway. So we had these wickers, we had one particularly uncomfortable chair, and the latecomer would get that chair. It was kind of a punitive measure to say show up on time. But <laughs> admittedly, it wasn't you know, the most hospitable spot in that sense, but I hope it was very hospitable because it, we were using what God had given us at that time to have an impact on relationships. And the reason why we bring that story up is you shouldn't think how much stacks of these. Because in our house, we got like 50,000 of these stacked in our safe doesn't matter how much money you have or how, how little or great your possessions are. You should use them. Use them for the glory of God. Use whatever you have, a crappy chair or a nice couch that you have in your living room. You should use that to help other people. I wasn't that, sure if I could describe it as that. So, uh, okay, I appreciate you doing it. I'll have to ask Sue later if yeah. we could say that. So, <laughs> so let's, get to, let, let's, let's kind of transition with this verse, this last verse in Timothy. Timothy is a place where leaderships, uh, leaders are, are, are built from, and there's a verse in Timothy that kind of bridges both of these together. The, the, the use part, and it kind of transitions to the S, which is share. Share. And so t- tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And that's a, it's a nice bridge between the two, you know, the use part, but then also the share. And the share I was distinguishing from the give is share is this personal thing. Be generous to those in your life. You might have a pile of junk in the garage. You're going to be tempted to have a garage sale or maybe just give it to people, share it with people. You have a, you know, a storage shed and, you know, there might be things there you haven't touched in 10 years. Why not share it with someone who can use it? Just have a, start working to be a sharing, generous person. And your, your clinging to this will really start to fade away. Your, your goal is, in a way, when you realize that this pile is replenished by God, why not work to get rid of it? Because God will replenish it as you need it. So I love the idea, and as we kind of close up today, and we're going to use one more concept or image to close, I want you to think about sharing as this personal thing. What are the treasures? The treasures are your relationships. Start sharing people's life. When you come to church, look at the person that's by themselves or doesn't have a bunch of friends and go to them and share your life with them. That's the kind of church that I want to go to. 
I want to go to a church that goes and greets everybody, but also then ask those people, hey, would you like to go to lunch one day? Have some communication. Stan and his wife like to share their hearts with new couples and, and future couples, and they go out to dinner, and they share their heart and what they've learned, and that's an important fact. So let's get to the close of this, and what's the final thing that you want to t- challenge us as a congregation? Well, I love these last three verses, that we can experience true life. And I think this is really what we're, you know, if, I, if you get nothing else, if we could break sort of the bondage to this pile of cash, and, you know, maybe you, you know, the give, the use, the share as, as tools to do that. But what we're really looking is, you know, for freedom from this. And the image we want to show, you know, we had these sort of these dueling images where we have the pile of cash dueling with the Bible as what's in charge. And the image we want to sort of shift to was this idea that said, okay, put your money in submission to God. And so, you know, the picture to look at is, does your money, you know, own you or does the Bible control? That's why we brought Stan up here. He's so passionate about this. Because many of us miss out on this, and we weren't taught this as a peach farmer or a Mennonite. We need to be taught today, or we need to break it down. And Stan comes up here because he's passionate, and he wants to help a congregation and a community to grow into this place where God's first, and now we don't worry about the money. Even if you have a bunch of it, let God use that money for the glory. So what's your last comment? question is... Do you believe it? This is easy to say, hard to do. You have to ask yourself, is this something I believe? Is the Bible true? And is it something that we should make as master? Or is it the money that we want to serve? And do we believe this? so grateful that you were here today. You saved my throat, and you also gave us something to really hold on to. Today, here's the thing. Do you want the premium of God in your life? Do you want to be in that premium peach box? Or are you going to only look for the quantities? the things that are really going to hold us back. As we close up today, the first thing that you need to do is ask yourself, am I giving to God? Am I giving to people around me? Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Are you being useful? And are you using your talents and your time? And are you willing to share personally? Some of that needs to be at home. But as we close close up today's message... It's my privilege and honor to always come before you to get ready for worship, but really ask you, are you really willing to make a decision? We've heard a message like this many times, but do you really believe it? And if you believe it, make some sort of movement in your heart from one side to the other saying, today I am going to learn to give. Today I am going to use my stuff better. Today I am going to share my heart and my, my things with other people personally. But before we do that, let's see if there's anybody here that needs to reconnect with God or put Christ first. Every Sunday, Jeremy and myself or Randy, we make sure that there's an opportunity for the gospel to come true. Even in a money message, we look to see, can God put, uh, can you put God first in your life? So if you're ready, let's just bow our heads. Let's get ready to worship. Let's ask God to speak. But Father, as we come in your name, to speak boldly and proclaim that we are going to put you first and we're not going to let this stack of of 20s or doll hairs come over us. But Lord, we're going to put you first. Lord, as a congregation, as a church, as we worship you, Father, speak deeply into us. And if there's someone here that needs to give their life to Jesus, to put their life in front of God and say, I'm giving you me and my soul. 
and I want a fresh start. If that's you, this is a time for you to receive salvation by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. If that's you, just repeat after me. Father, come into my heart. Come into my soul. I'm devoted to you. The Bible says that you died and rose again. I believe that now and teach me more to understand that. Holy Spirit, come over me. Take over my heart, mind, and soul. I give you everything that I am right now for your glory. Father, we love you and we praise you. We lift this time up to you and ask for your glory to shine. We worship you, Father, for you are the almighty King and Savior of the world. We say these things in the name above all names, Jesus Christ.